You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. Welcome. And uh, as we said every year, you know, if you've been here, if you're if you're a first timer with us or we're new to Life Tree, every year we kind of go with the tree-ish theme, right? And we try to figure out what season we're in. We feel like God speaks and seasons and, and lets us know how to set expectation. You know, what, what season are we going to be in right now? And uh, we feel like God has said this is going to be a year of confident hope, right? That this is going to be a year of confident hope that we need to understand what hope is. That God is directing us and saying, hey, pay attention to hope. Figure out what hope is because maybe it's not what you thought it was. Maybe we have incomplete understanding of it. I don't know. But in whatever reason, we feel like at this precise time in our lives, as a church, God is saying, hey, pay attention to hope. I want to direct your attention there. And so we're on a journey of discovering what hope is and what that looks like and why it matters. It was Martin Luther uh, who said, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. It's a good quote. Everything that's done in the world is done by hope. Uh, it's important to differentiate, right, hope from wishing. Got to make sure we do that, right? Wishing is what we just want to happen. And it's like, yeah, it'd be, I hope that it's 85 degrees tomorrow. That's wishing, right? That's just wishing. Okay. Um, but hope is based on something we've been promised, right? Hope is based on a promise. It comes from somewhere. It's got a source in a, in a promise. And that means our hope is only as sure as the one making the promise. I know I say this every week as I'm, and you're hearing, don't worry, this is the last week of the series, so you won't hear me say it anymore. But I'm just trying to, uh, to, to make sure that we're all, I know we, we, the more we hear it, the more it kind of sinks in. So our hope is only as sure as the promise maker, right? We got that. Okay, so that's led us to Hebrews chapter 11, Hall of Fame of Faith, right? We're going to Hall of Fame stuff. Um, baseball is not playing right now because they stink and they can't agree. Listen, just figure it out. You're getting paid enough money. Figure it out, right? You got the basketball all-star, right? For those of you who are in basketball, there are no Knicks there. None. Not one. Come on, right? You, you understand, buddy, right? You understand, it's terrible. Awful. Anyway, I, I will, for those who are not sports-related, I'm sorry. I'm just publicly grieving. It's part of my process. Okay. So we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith shows us the reality of what we hope for, right? Faith shows us, like, what are we actually hoping for? Well, whatever we have faith for, that's revealing what we're hoping for. It's the evidence of what we can't see, as David was sharing, right? Faith is the evidence, like, you show me what you're hoping for, what your faith is in, and, and, and I'll show you, right, things that you can't see. And through their faith, it says people of old... The people who lived a long, long time ago earned a good reputation. Through their, their acts of faith, they earned a good reputation, and really what it earned them was a spot in the Hall of Fame of Faith. So we get to Hebrews 11, and their names are there because they had hope in something, in a promise and faith in God. And so we're reading through that. We're reading through stories of people who believe the promises of God, and they serve as inspiration for us. That's kind of sets it all up. Okay, so week one, the story of Abraham. Remember this? Right? God's going to bless you more than you can bless you. He's going to make you a blessing to the world. So we can hope for good. We can hope for good that whatever happens in our lives will be supremely right. That God's saying, hey, I'm going to bless you. You don't have to worry about you know, manipulating the circumstances for you. I got you. Right? We, we can hope for good in our life because God says, I'm going to do it. The story of Moses' parents, right? We went there. Right? That God's always going to do the most loving thing for you. Right? They, they took the risk of not throwing their child away because that's what the, you know, the, the 
Pharaoh had said, and they said, no, we're going to hide this child. It was at personal risk, and the whole point of that was love. They did that out of love. God will do the most loving thing for you. So here's what you can hope for, right? You can hope for love, that when you look back on your life, you'll say at the end of time, I couldn't have been more loved. That's the promise of God to you, that when you get to the end, you'll look back and say, I couldn't have been more loved. God will withhold nothing. He will, he will not even stop sacrificing his son. He will do whatever it takes to show me love. I couldn't be more loved than I am. It promises. Then we move on to Enoch's story that God says, hey, Enoch's right, this guy's just walking, and all of a sudden, zap, he's gone, he's in heaven with God. And it just says, right, that it, it shows us that God's going to bring us home, that we don't have to lose heart, that we can hope for home. This is not home. If you have, I'm always trying to create a home, whether it's a place, or we don't have a church home, it'd be nice to have one, right? We, we actually have a pool now in the back. Everybody see the pool or the, right back there? That's, that's not our sign. That's what the senior center is calling that um, nice little interesting area there. Um, but that's, that's not us. Um, but it would be nice to have a, a church home. But even still, if we had a building, it wouldn't make a difference because this is still not our home, right? But we're going home. That's our hope. We're all going to get to go home. Enoch story. Then we get to Noah, right? This farmer's got to build a boat and bring all the animals on the earth and just save the whole world. That's it. That's all he's got to do, right? A little bit overwhelming, and here's the promise of God. I'm going to help you. Whatever I prompt you to do, I'm going to help you. That's the promise of God. If he prompts you to do something, he says, I will give you everything you need to get that done. There is nothing God calls you to do that he will not equip you and help you to do. You couldn't have better help. Right? These are the promises of God. Then you get to Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, right? That we, last week, that God never changes. Through the generations, God never changes. Though the world is filled with uncertainty, he's our constant. Right? That's the hope we can pass on to the next generation with confidence, just like they did to their sons, to their grandsons, to the, to the people that they were living among. We can hope for an anchor that God's always going to be true. Like, these are the promises of God. So we're just kind of recapping everything we talked about. And it's so interesting because they're all different types of people, right? Abraham was um, elderly. He was old. He was an old guy, right, having kids at 100, right? And then Moses had young parents, right? Enoch was a guy that just liked to take walks. Noah's a farmer. The patriarchs, well, one was quiet, one was devious, one was a dreamer, all different sorts of people. And here's just the takeaway for me as we're looking at the Hall of Fame of Faith is that God is relevant for all types of people. All types of people. It doesn't matter who you are. It's not like a one-size-fits-all in this. It's like, oh, these are always the church kind of people. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh, and wait till you hear today's story. Okay, because today we're going to explore one more individual, the last one uh, that we're going to be going through. There's more in the, in the text, but we're just reading this last one. Um, and different than all the others, this one's not even an Israelite. It's not even somebody who's in the, who comes from you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it's not in that line. It's an outsider, somebody who doesn't even belong to the nation of Israel. Someone who seems to randomly, like really, really randomly enter the story. Um, very unlikely. It's probably... If I asked you like, to put together a hall of fame of faith, it's probably the most unlikely kind of person that you would put in this list. It's somebody you go, I don't understand why this, uh, nope, wouldn't have been on my top 10 list, right? Now, here's what you need to know about this person. Um, one, it's a woman. Two, her name is Rahab. Okay, if you know the story a little bit, you're starting to go, okay, just wait. Um, we find her story in the book of Joshua. To tell her story right, I've got to kind of set it up here. So again, go back to the beginning. God made a promise to Abraham, going to bless you, going to bless the world through you, make you, make you famous, right? make you a nation, all this kind of stuff. Abraham has one kid. He has, one, he has two kids, and then we get 12, and then it keeps on going. Eventually, you know, they get to Egypt, Joseph, right? So they, you know, 
you get all these people in Egypt, and they're starting to become more big. That's a really big family now, and now become family. Now they're starting to become sort of like a mini nation. Like, that's a people group. They're getting bigger, and then God leads them out of Egypt, right? And there's this exodus, and oh, this is awesome. We're going to go promised land, 400 years of promise coming through, right? You hear all this stuff. It's going to be awesome. We're going we're gonna to get through to the promised land, and then Moses just continues to be so frustrated with the people. He can't, he can't take it anymore. He's doing things he shouldn't be doing, and he blows his chance, and God says, okay, Moses, guess what? Turn around. You're not going in. I'm going to make this entire generation. They're so stubborn and rebellious. They keep wanting to go back to Egypt. They're not trusting me for what I promised, turn around. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. He says, the scouts that he sent out scouted the land that God was going to give them for 40 days. He said, you're going to serve a year for every day. So 40 years until a generation is going to pass away. Nobody over 20 is going to get into that promised land. That's what happens. It's it's crazy. So now here's where we're picking up the story. Moses is dead. (laughs) Yeah, great story. It's like, and, and Moses is dead. It's like a little bit of Charles Dickens, right? I can, except I hear it in the voice of Rizzo the rat because that's the best version of the Muppets. Okay, Moses has died. Joshua now is kind of his second in command. Joshua was one of only two people that actually were like, we can do this. The other spies were like, nah, Joshua and Caleb are these two guys. are like, oh, we can take it. So Joshua is, God says, okay, since you guys believe, you're going to get to go in. Joshua is now in charge. So Joshua is in charge of those people. They've been wandering for all these years. They're kind of homeless, trying to figure it out. And God says, Joshua, it's time. It's time to walk into the promised land. It's time to finish the job. It's ready to be claimed. It's a huge moment in history. This promise made generations ago to Abraham is now about to be fulfilled through Joshua. And Joshua says, I'm going to send out two spies. And you're like, Joshua, do you remember how the spies lasted uh, last time? Right, but... He, but he does it again. He says, hey, I just want you to scout our first target. We're going in, and it's going to be a city named Jericho, right? There's this city. I want you to go scout this city. It's a walled city, a fortified city. So it's a city with these big high walls. You can't just go and, like, attack it. Like, they would just, you know, throw things over at you. I don't know, chickens, whatever. It, like, you just can't, right? So he says, you're going to go scout it out. So that's where we're going to pick it up. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to read the story. Okay? He sends these spies in. It says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. We're going in. Just let me know what we're getting into. That's what he says here. right? Um, and it says here, So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Pause. You caught it, right? Just, where, where did they stop? I thought this was church, Christian story. Yes, that's right, I'm not making eye contact. No, it's okay. I told you, this is, I love that the Bible's about real people. It doesn't sugarcoat anything, okay? So now we know that this person, Rahab, who we're going to be looking at, right, this is what she was. This is what she did. At that particular time in history, Prostitution was a very common way for single women to make money. It was really the only, one of the only ways they had to make money. So either single women, divorced women, uh, widows, things like that, this is how they would um, obtain money. And it's possible that she actually operated an inn. Uh, so that would have been sort of like in, in those times, inns were kind of, you could come and stay, it would have been free. Like that would be free, but then you would pay for like food, you'd pay for food for your animals, um, and that would be part of the package. Like you'd kind of, like that was just part of the deal. And so what that means is that that could have been a really practical hiding spot for spies. 
because there was constantly strangers coming and going, and it wouldn't have seemed unusual. So it makes a lot of sense when you look at it to go, oh, they could have stopped there. That wouldn't have, you know, maybe caused any attention towards them, except for the fact that it didn't work. It didn't work out. And we get to verse 2, and it says, but someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Ah, they got caught, right? That's so, right? So it says, so the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Now here's where it gets really, really interesting. Rahab had hidden the two men. Okay. What? Right? This is like why? Like this is like this is where we begin to start to go. What is going on in the story? It, it, it turns. She had hidden the two men, but she replied, "Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from." She says, "They left the town at dusk, as the gates were about to close, and I don't know where they went. If you can hurry," she says, "you can probably catch up with them." Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. Um, so I just want to point out right here, what we know about Rahab so far is what she does for a living. We know that she likes to lie. She's really good at it. Um, it's probably not the first time that she has hidden people who don't want to get caught, right? She's, she's, I mean, she's got skills, right? And I just want to point out here, she didn't even hesitate, <laughs> So the question is, how in the world does she get in the Bible's Hall of Fame of Faith? Like just putting it together, right? Like, does that seem like somebody who's got the credentials? You're like, yeah, that's so, definitely, let's include them, right? It is worth pointing out that she was helping who we'd call the good guys, right? So at least she's got that going for her, right? It seems like she's helping. It was certainly unexpected. The, the spies are probably wondering, like, what's going on? Why are we under these piles of... <laughs> of hay, and what do you, yeah, flax, and why are you trying to hide us? Like, what's, what's your angle, lady? Like, what are you getting at? Like, they don't understand what's going on. They don't know the situation. All they know is that we're caught, and for whatever reason, she's not giving us up yet. That's all they know, right? So, verse 7, it says, so the king's men took her advice. They're like, well, that sounds like a good idea. We should go get them. And they went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. So now that means the spies are trapped. They cannot get out. The gates are shut. They can't escape, right? So they're trapped in the city. They're at the mercy of Rahab. She can expose them if she wants to. There's no way out. They're like powerless here. We're in your house. Gates are shut. Hmm. It says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. So they're hiding up there, and she says this, I... I I can't emphasize enough how startling what Rahab says next would have been to the spies, right? This, what she's about to say here is downright shocking what she'll say in, in, in the next verse. It's just, it's hard to get there, but just try and imagine you're these spies, you're under this thing, this lady's coming up, it's night, you're like, what's going on? And here's what they hear from her. Verse 9, she says this, I know the Lord has given you this land. She told them, we're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. We have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. Verse 11, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. This is absolutely incredible. Remember who Rahab is, okay? Remember who we're talking about now. They probably expected her to be oblivious to whatever was happening outside of her own house. Like, you wouldn't think that this lady, right, would be so in tuned 
with all this stuff. Yet she had her finger on the pulse of an entire city. She knew exactly what God had done for Israel. She knew who they were, and she knew what they were coming from. She knew how they had gotten there. She knew about their escape from Egypt, their battles with these two kings. She's on the money. And not only that, she reveals that the entire city is terrified to fight. They must have been, like, amazed at what they're hearing. Are you, what? What? You're, you're telling us that, like, 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 just trying to process this all. And that's nothing compared to what she says next. Right? Here's what we hear. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Okay. I want to say that again. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Rahab, prostitute, not Israelite, living in a city in a land called Canaan. Right? This is just, they serve multiple gods. This is, this, she, what? It's astounding. And here's some things that we don't even pick up initially. I didn't pick up initially when you're reading this. She didn't just say the Lord your God. That's how our English translates it. What she actually said in Hebrew is this. She says, Jehovah Elohim. For Jehovah Elohim is the supreme God of the heavens above. That's the personal name of God as only revealed to the Israelites. It's a name that's so personal that Jewish brothers and sisters to this day will not say it or write it out. This is, this is like next level knowledge. She's not just saying, yeah, oh, your God. Like everybody knows that. Nobody knew that. She calls him by name. She didn't Google it. <laughs> so somehow she comes to know God's name. And not only that, she acknowledges his supremacy. We have gods here. I don't know how deep her understanding is. We're not really told. We don't know if she just says, here are all our gods and your God's just above them. Or if she understood that the gods of the Canaanites were just absolutely, you know, false idols. We don't know. But all we know is that she recognizes that God is over all. So much so that the phrasing she used, this phrasing that Jehovah Elohim is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth, that particular phrasing was only used two other times in all of Scripture. One by Moses and one by Solomon. This lady was a theologian. She understood God and phrased it in ways that nobody, like, it's one of those moments you're going, who are you? Like, who, what, what is happening? And what happens next shows that not only is Rahab in tune with what's happening, but man, you do not want to mess with Rahab. She is smart. She is sharp. In fact, a biblical scholar named Robert Hubbard says this, Rahab is the most competent character in this story. Kings, spies, doesn't matter. Soldiers, she displays incredible wits, decisive action. Listen to what she says, verse 12. She says, all that stuff, she goes, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father, my mother, my brother and sister and their families. Wow. These are two spies from a people Rahab knows is about to defeat her city. She knows, oh, you're going to win, right? Yet she finds herself in a position of power, and she leverages it. Yeah. You are going to help me, right? I don't care who you are. You are helping me. You're saving my family. And she appeals culturally to their sense of rightness. I helped you. You're going to now return the favor. Oh, it's, it's, she is no slouch. Verse 14, the men say, we offer our li our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. 
if you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. They told her that when they returned, she needed to leave a red cord hanging out the window, and, if, and whoever was gathered in her house would be saved. That's how it is. Whoever's in here, I can't promise anybody else. Anybody else outside, blood's on you. Anybody in your house, we take responsibility. We will save them, but here's what you've got to do. You can't tell anybody. You can't tell a single soul. I don't know how they would find out, but you can't tell anybody. You've got to hang this red cord out the window, and you've got to have your family in the house. Right? And so that's what they do. She accepts the offer, and they show her kindness because of the kindness that she had shown. Right? There's a word here, that, that, that word for kindness that they use in the text there where she says, I showed you kindness, you're going to show it back, is this Hebrew word. Uh, it's one of my mom's favorite words. She's got it on a sign in her kitchen. It's called hesed, H-E-S-E-D, hesed. It's a rich word, and it's, it's, it means love, but not just love. It's, it's like love in action. It's not just like a love, like a feeling, but it's a love that does something. It's an active love, right? Um, if, it's, if I could put it in today's language, she would have said something like, listen, I showed you some love, now you're going to show me some love back. Like, that's how she would have said it. Like, that's how it would have been understood. And it's remarkable for someone who made a living with superficial love, for someone who made a living, right, displaying this sort of fraudulent, you know, copy replica of what we know as love. But she understands at some level, okay, now there's a, there's a higher level here. There's a different kind of love. She helps the men escape. They go back to Joshua. They tell him the whole thing. A few weeks later, they return. It's been a couple of weeks now, so she's got to be waiting. She's waiting, right? It's a few weeks later. Joshua leads the entire nation of army back to Jericho, right? And they walk. You know the story if you've seen VeggieTales, okay? They walk around the city in silence once a day for six days, just walking around the city. Some people are blowing trumpets, but nobody's allowed to say anything. They're just six days. Imagine being in the city, like, yeah, they're walking again. I don't understand what these people are doing, but they just keep walking. I don't know if they think that's going to fight, but, but in obedience to God, they're just walking. On the seventh day, God tells them they're going to circle the city seven times. Seven times they circle the city on the seventh day, and Joshua says, when I tell you, you're going to raise your voice. They raise their voices in a great shout. And we are told that the walls of the city simply collapsed. Just fell down. The spies make good on their promise. They find Rahab. They rescue her, her mother, her father, her brothers, her family. Right? They make good on their promise. Rahab does her part. And here's how her story ends. Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. We read this. It says, So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho because of her kindness, because of her hesed, her, her, her love, her act, love in action. And here's the, here's the best line. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Interesting. Really, really interesting. Here's what her Hall of Fame entry reads. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm kind of ending with this now. It says, it was by faith. Remember, it was by faith that Moses, and it was by faith that Abraham, and it was by faith that Isaac and Jacob and, and Joseph, and it was by faith that Noah, and it was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, because it's there, this is who she was, she was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She showed them said, She showed them love. You know what that tells us? That Rahab and her family, they should have been destroyed. Should have been. There was a, they were on a one-way street, and it only ended right in, okay, we're just going to, you can read, they, there was nothing left of Jericho. They destroyed the entire city. 
But something changed. Something happened that brought about change in her story. This is an outsider who is living life so far from what God accepts. And yet she finds herself living out her days among the people of God. I mean, that's not even the tip of the iceberg here. We haven't really even gotten to the full heart of the story. Do you know what Rahab's mother and father's names are? Nope, nobody knows. Never captured. We don't know anything about what happened before Rahab. But we know a whole lot about what happened after her. Rahab was not married. Right? Maybe it was tough in that profession. I don't know. She wasn't married. But after the fall of her city, she chose to remain with Israel. She could have lived anywhere else. So she chose to stay among the Israelites. And she ends up marrying one of them. But not just any man. Not just any man. She marries the ninth generation from Abraham. I mean, we're talking royalty, right? In terms of, like, she married. So here's you go. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, Hezron, Ram, Aminadab, Nashon, and then we get to this guy, Salmon. She marries a guy named Salmon. Not Salmon, Salmon. He's Israelite. She gets grafted in. She's just part of the story now. But that's not where the story ends, because they have a son, and their son's name was Boaz. Ever hear of him? He's the guy who changed the story for Ruth, because he showed what? Oh, yeah, uncommon kindness. They call that hesed. He showed this redemptive grace and love in action to a family member. Ruth was also not somebody who was Israelite. Isn't it funny how just one generation removed that same sort of Love and kindness, that uncommon love and kindness was passed down. And so now, their son, Boaz, shows this incredible kindness to Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed. Again, if you have a dog, it's a good name. Obed, Obed, go to bed. All right, so Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David. Okay, Rahab, Boaz and Ruth, right, all the way down to David, her great-great-grandson would become the standard for earthly kings. We're talking about King David from Rahab. You don't know Rahab's mom and dad, but you know a whole lot about what happened after Rahab. And not only did she become the great-great-grandmother of King David, she would eventually become in the lineage of the king of kings, Jesus. Come on. Come on. Nobody knows what happened before Rahab, but everybody knows what happened after. Every hero's story that we've read so far reveals a promise. Every single one. The rest of the city died. What made Rahab hide the spies? What made her show them such loving kindness, such uncommon kindness? What, what, why would she do that? She was not the kind of person that you'd go, oh, that makes sense. It didn't make any sense. What hope did she have that brought about such change in her life? Last week, what did we find out? That God never changes. God never changes. And here's what I think the story of Rahab reveals to us about the promise of God. The unchanging God promises us this. We will change. I think that's what God promises us. We can change. God promises 
transformation. Rahab was a prostitute living among people hostile to the truth of God. It says everyone in her city rebelled, yet her awareness and recognition of God presented her with an opportunity to, to change the story. And it didn't just change her, right? But it changed generations after her. The God who never changes is in the business of always changing us. Oh, man. And that's all well and good for Rahab, right? But so what for us? So what for us? Very simply, God promises you can change. You can change. Now, I don't know the answer to this question, but what in you needs to change? What part of you needs to change? What part of your heart needs, needs God to do some transformational work in it? Like, there are things that nobody in this room might guess about the others in this room, and we're glad for that. <laughs> it's kind of nice that we can keep that on the inside, but, but between you and God, he knows and you know. There's a good chance that you, some of us maybe don't even have hope for change. I can't change. That's just who I am. Been that way for a long time. Not going not gonna to get any better. Perhaps you've given up. It's possible that you've given up on change. And you know what that makes you? Makes you George Costanza in sweatpants. I love this scene from Seinfeld. Jerry says, again with the sweatpants, right? And uh, George says, what? I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable in sweatpants. And he says, you know the message you're sending out to the world when you wear these sweatpants? You're telling the world, ready? I give up. I can't compete in normal society. I'm miserable, so I might as well be comfortable. That's what you're telling the world. And I'm not judging anybody in sweatpants. Um, but I think some of us have gotten way too comfortable have gotten way too comfortable with parts of our lives that God intends to change. And we're just not trying anymore. We give up. God loves us as we are, and he will not leave us there. You can count on it. If you follow God, he is going to change you into a better version of who you are. God didn't put Rahab on the earth to sell her body. That was a distortion of her gifts. She's in the Hall of Fame for her active love. That's what she was put here to do. And it echoed for generations in her family. David, her great, 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 great grandson, right? What did God say about him? Got a heart after me. Something in there. It was not perfect, neither was Rahab, but God says there's something in this family line that's, un I mean, it was something that Rahab injected into this family line, an uncommon love. Real love for God and for his people. When God changes us, it's always to bring out the truest and fullest expressions of who we are. And Rahab shows us how God accomplishes that. Very simply, he presents us opportunities to change. Let me ask you, do you think it was random that the spies ended up at her house? Do you think it just so happened that they just stumbled onto her property? I mean, we're talking a city here. See, I'm convinced that since before time began, God had a plan that he was going to give Rahab the opportunity to rewrite her family story. He said, I'm going to give, I'm going to give her a chance to change. God doesn't randomly give people a place in the lineage of his son. 
they didn't just randomly show up there. That was, they were God sent to her. Of all the gin joints in all the world, they walk into hers. See, God's going to present you with opportunities to change. I believe that. I believe as you go throughout this week, God is going to present you with opportunities to change. And that's not, by itself, here, here's the deal. By itself, that's not enough. Just because those two spies came there didn't, didn't, didn't save Rahab. She had to take action on that, right? She had to respond to seize the moment. She had to take the risk of hiding them. Had that, had that been found out, she's done. She's dead. The whole city's dead anyway, but she's, we don't even know her name. We're not talking about her tonight, right? She had to trust them as they left, these spies. They were going to actually make good on their promise. She had, to, she had to do all of these things. She's waiting weeks with a red cord hanging out her window. What was that about? Ah, just spicing up the place. You know, I don't know. Like, what is she? Like, she's just got to go out on a limb. She had to take action. She had to respond to the opportunity. The opportunity presented itself to her, but she had to seize the moment. And she did, and it changed everything. Pastor Mark Batterson, I love this. I love this quote from him. He says this, You are one decision away from a completely different life. Oh, doesn't that hit? Man. And it's not like a decision like cheeseburger or, or, or you know, uh, bacon, egg, and cheese on a, on, a, on a bagel. Like, it's not like that kind of decision. Here's the decision, ready? This is the one decision that it always boils down to. Will you recognize that God is the supreme God? That Jehovah Elohim is the supreme God of all the nations of all the heavens and of all the earth. That's the decision. It's not complicated. It's always one decision. But wherever we are, will we make that decision over and over again, God, that you're Lord of all? It's always, will I submit? Will I submit to the lordship of God? Whatever change you need in your life, can I just say, whatever change you need in your life right now, the solution is found in acknowledging that God is the supreme God over all things. Whatever change needs to come about in your life, whatever is holding you back, whatever standing in the way, whatever obstacle is there, God is supreme over it. That is the solution for everything in your life that needs to change. God is for real. He's above everything, and that changes who we are. This week, I'm going to tell you, opportunities are going to show up on your doorstep, and it may be, it may be scary. It may be one of those things where you're like, oh, I don't know if I can take this. It may be hard. It may be risky. My dad always used to say, there's no risk in following God. People always talk about taking a risk for God. You're not taking a risk for God. The only risk is not following God. You want to take a risk, step outside his will. You trust God, there is no risk there. It may be scary. It may feel risky. God promises, you trust me as supreme over everything, I'm going to change you into who you were made to be. It doesn't matter who you are, how unlikely you are to change. Listen, you may be sitting in the room going, God can't change me. Hey, let me tell you, God changed Rahab? Like somebody who was really far, shouldn't have had any knowledge of God. I mean, didn't grow up in any way knowing God. And somehow Rahab is now in the lineage of Jesus. God can do it for you. I don't care who you are. God's kind of in the transformation business. And the whole book is filled with stories of people who used to be but are now. 
who used to be this, but now they're this. If you will put your hope in God's promise of change, one day you're going to look back and say these two things. Ready? Here we are. I'm not who I was. God has changed me. That's the promise of God to you. That when you get to the end of your life, if you trust him, you will look back and say, I'm not who I was. God has changed me. It's going to echo not just in your life, but in the generations that follow. And I asked David to come on up and whoever else is coming up. We're going to close here. But I love how God uses such unlikely people. It gives me, like, encouragement, you know. Like, oh, man. All right, God might be able to use me. All right. It proves again and again we have no idea what God is doing, how valuable we are to him. He is our hope and promise. His promises give us confidence. I'm going to go through them again because it's the last week of the series. I'm going to recap them all. So would you just listen to this for a moment? Maybe close your eyes and just listen to this for just a moment. These are the promises of God that give us confidence. God says, hey, I'm going to bless you. More than you can bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing. You can count on that. Have hope in the fact that God says, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do good by you. Tonight, I just want to encourage you, as you're listening, wherever you're listening, would you just have hope that God says, he's going to bless you. He's so good. He's so good. It may not look like what you think it will look like, but he's a God who promises you can't be more blessed. He's a God who promises that you can't be more loved. You may feel like nobody loves you, like you've never really understood true love. That's always been conditional based on how you look or what you have or what you can do. I always feel like you've had to earn it or, or try and, or it's just been given, but it's not actual real love. And I'm just here to tell you right now, God promises you are loved. Not you will be, not one day, but you are right now in this moment fully, unconditionally loved. You couldn't be more loved than you are right now. God constantly does the most loving things for you. You may not feel like it. We may not understand it. Love is always, sometimes love feels tough. It, it doesn't feel like what we want, but it's always, you can trust, it's a promise. I will always do the most loving thing for you. God promises you are going home. You may feel like you are struggling to make it. You are just trying to get through your days. There are days you're at peace. There are days it's, it's tough. It's a struggle. You're trying to find your place, trying to find your way. And God just wants you to know, hey, he's going to come. She said, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to take you there. And it's going to be more home than anywhere you've ever had on this earth. It's not just you. It's all of us. God says, I'm coming to bring you home. That's what the ancients says. That's what they were celebrated for because they saw what their eyes could not see on this earth. They saw that they were, they were not citizens here, but we have a heavenly home, that there was something better. We are not worthy of this world. God says, I'm taking you home. You don't belong here. Well, whoever you are, understand that you have a home. This is not it. We can... We can make homes here, and that's all well and good. It's not bad, not wrong. But we can't find our sense of being here. We're not from here. We have all the help we need. You have all the help you need, the promise of God. Whatever God is putting on your heart to do, if it's, if it's a mission that you're, that you're sent on, 
God says, I'm going to help you do that. If there's, a, if there's something you're trying to change about this world, a brokenness, injustice, whatever it is that you are trying to fight against and it seems too big, God says, hey, I'm helping you with that. I didn't put it on your heart to burden you, to crush you. I put it on there because I intend to help you make a difference. God's going to help you accomplish what he prompts you to do. It's a promise of God. He never changes. You can count on it. When the world around you swirls, God promises, I never change. Same yesterday, today, forever. No matter how far you get from God, no matter how many, how many times you wander away, God promises you, He's the same. I will love you just as much today as I ever have. I'm just as true today as I've ever been. I'm just as strong. I'm just as powerful. I'm just as mighty. I'm just as good. I'm just as just, just as fair, just as wise. The God who created all things is the same as he's always been. And he is ever present. He's, he's as present with you as he's ever been for anybody. God is here. He never changes. And that God says, you can change. He's in the process of, of just loving us into who we can be, to who he's created us to be. So if you're in here and you just feel like there are parts of you you just wish you could change, that you, you feel like God, God wants you to change, don't give up hope. Don't quit. You keep trusting God. He changed the, he changed the entire trajectory of Rahab's life. He took a woman who was just disregarded by society. It was probably looked down upon. Not much expected from her. We come to find out that she was so much more than anybody knew and that that woman was part of God's incredible plan for us. Because of her, we, we get to know Jesus. She was part of that story. And God can do the same for you. He can take who you are. You go, I'm nobody, I'm nothing. And God says, you have no idea. And we may never know. It might not be till generations down the line that our story is fully told. But you trust God. You are not bound. You are free. And he has the power to change you into all that you can be. The confident hope, that's our strong and trustworthy anchor in every season of life. God, we give ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you right now. And as you're just sitting there, if you just say, I just need God to do a work in me. I know I need to change. That's it. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If that's you, and you say, I, God, I just, it's, my, it's my, just my sign, God. I need change. I need you to change me. I need you to give me hope that I can change. God, I want to trust you for it. If that's you, would you just put your hand up and say, God, see me. God, see me right now. God, look around. You see these hands. God, look throughout this room. God, you see us. If you're at home watching online, just where you are, just raise your hand. There's something about taking that step, that action to say, I'm not just going to keep this in. I'm going to acknowledge it, God. I'm not afraid to say, God, I need you. I need you to work in my life, God. God, I got both hands up. I need you to change me. There's so many parts of me. I need you to change. So, God, I raise my hands and say, God, would you change me? We welcome you into this place. God, who, who makes all things new, would you do that? in us, God. I invite you to stand. The band's going to close with a song. And as we sing, let it just, would you just welcome God into this place?
invite God in. Let it be our response. You can lift your hands if you want to in worship, but let's just let God do His work in us.